0: Jeremiah chapter 30 this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord this is what the Lord the God of Israel says write in a book all the words I have spoken to you the days are coming declares the Lord when I will bring my people Israel and Judah back from captivity and restore them to the land I gave their ancestors to possess says the Lord these are the words the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah this is what the Lord says cries of fear are heard terror not peace Ask and see. Can a man bear children? Then why do I see every strong man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labour, every face turned deathly pale? How awful that day will be. No other will be like it. It will be a time of trouble for Jacob, but he will be saved out of it. In that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will break the yoke off their necks and will tear off their their bonds. No longer will foreigners enslave them. Instead, they will serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. So do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant. Do not be dismayed, Israel, declares the Lord. I will surely save you out of a distant place, your descendants from the land of of their exile. Jacob will again have peace and security, and no one will make him afraid. I am with you and will save you, declares the Lord. Though I completely destroy all the nations among which I scatter you, I will not completely destroy you. I will discipline you, but only in due measure. I will not let you go entirely unpunished. This is what the Lord says. Your wound is incurable, your injury beyond healing. There is no one to plead your cause, no remedy for your sore, no healing for you. All your allies have forgotten you. They care nothing for you. I have struck you as an enemy would and punished you as would the cruel, because your guilt is so great and your sins so many. Why do you cry out over your wound, your pain that, was, that has no cure? Because of your great guilt and many sins, I have done these things to you. But all who devour you will be devoured. All your enemies will go into exile. Those who plunder will be plundered. All who make spoil of you, I will despoil. But I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord. Because you are called an outcast, Zion for whom no one cares. This is what the Lord says I will restore the fortunes of Jacob's tents and have compassion on his dwellings. The city will be rebuilt on her ruins, and the palace will stand in its proper place. From them will come songs of thanksgiving and the sound of rejoicing. I will add to their numbers, and they will be decreased. I will bring them honour, and they will not be disdained. Their children will be as in days of old, and their community will be established before me. I will punish all who oppress them. Their leader will be one of their own. Their ruler will arise from among them. I will bring him near and he will come close to me. For who is he who will devote himself to be close to me, declares the Lord. So you will be my people and I will be your God. See, the storm of the Lord will burst out in wrath, a driving wind swirling down on the heads of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he fully accomplishes the purposes of his heart. In days to come, you will understand this.
1: Thanks, Jenny. Wow, Dave, I'm so excited about that donut prospect for for, uh, next week. Two weeks ago, I mystified my family, or particularly my wife, with a very strong donut craving that just had to be satisfied that day and uh, involving trips to Qatar and plans and this and that, so it's been two weeks, so that donut craving is coming back again, so be perfect next week. Well, one of the painful things about COVID was being apart from the people we love. Because of lockdowns and border closures, we couldn't be close to our extended family, we couldn't be close to our close friends. There was a distance between us. It didn't matter if it was weddings or funerals, we were separated from the people we loved. I felt the pain particularly uh, with my youngest brother who lives in New Zealand, and he was going through some hard times, him and his family, and it was uh, we'd booked tickets to go in September 2020, but then COVID happened, everything shut down, and I couldn't be there for my brother uh, when he needed close family. And I know other people here at church were unable to have family come to their wedding or they were separated from sick parents or aging parents or from their children overseas. It was a painful time of distance. We miss the closeness, the fellowship, the physical touch, the intimacy, the connection. But do you ever feel a similar distance from God? We know God is present everywhere, He is powerful, He is glorious and all that, but I think it's common for us to feel distant from God. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you've read lots of the Bible and you've done lots of ministry, but God doesn't feel that close in your mind or your heart. Maybe you've grown up in a Christian home and you've had great times at kid church and wave and you've listened to Colin songs a thousand times over, but now as you're getting older, God just seems a little bit more distant. Now, why might that be? Well, or maybe the worries of this world are taking up your headspace and, and taking up the space in your heart where God used to be. Uh, it's the demands of work, it's uh, the, the complexity of school life and the busyness there, it's the, the difficulties of keeping a home running and a family functional. Maybe that's it. Or maybe suffering is wearing you down. You know, it could be physical illness or mental illness or grief or loss or a sense of life not turning out the way you you wanted it to be, And, and God just seems at a distance. Or maybe the thrill of sin is giving you more of a buzz than God right now. Right now you're finding that living for what your heart desires is what makes you feel alive. It gives you something to look forward to each day, and God has just faded into the background a bit. But it could be that you're not even yet a Christian. You've never been a Christian, and God is distant simply because, well, you've never met Him. You've never been close to God. You're here at church, you know, curious to find out what Christianity is about, what this God is about, whether God could possibly be interested in you or care for you, and you're wondering about that. But at this point, well, God is is distant, and that's how it's always been. Well, in this passage from Jeremiah, we hear the voice of God calling his people back from a distance. God is reaching out from a distance to his people and he's inviting us to a kind of fellowship and intimacy that's greater than anything else in the world. So we're going to spend some time in these chapters, 30 and 31, and my prayer here is that we will leave here today in joyful, close relationship with God, whether for the first time or once again for wandering believers. So, we're in the book of Jeremiah. It's about 690 BC, and really, we should all deserve a gold star just for being in the book of Jeremiah. It is one of the uh, most complex and challenging books in the Old Testament, uh, and very hard to get your head around. If you are reading it through, maybe with one of our Time with God booklets, uh, that's excellent as well. Uh, You should reward yourself at the end of that reading. Buy yourself a donut if... uh, yeah, yeah, you know, donuts keep coming up in my script, so uh, buy yourself a donut, reward yourself getting through, through Jeremiah, because it's a big and heavy book, but that's where we're in. And for the last five chapters in this series, we've heard Jeremiah warn God's people that judgment is coming, and there's going to be this exile, and it's not going to be a short exile, it's been a long exile, 70 years, so long, so that unless the Israelites are you know, doing their cardio and taking their antioxidants, they're going to die in Babylon next to those rivers there. So, but what hope can there be? What can sustain them? How can they be hopeful, either for themselves or their children? And that's where these chapters come in. We read chapter 30, but we're going to look at everything to up to 31, verse 26. It'd be great to have your Bibles open. We'll be doing a lot of work here. Let's see how these chapters work. Um, so, we've got the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah in chapter 30, verse 1. Now, do you notice what's different about previous weeks? In this one, we don't get a date, like we don't like, here's the fourth year of King Jehoiakim or Zedekiah. We don't get anything like that. It just sort of sits there. And I think that helps us see these chapters as kind of floating above the year by year history of Israel. It's like you could select all, control C, control V into any point in the future, and these chapters will speak to you. They can speak to God's people into the future. They're so versatile that God actually tells Jeremiah to write it down in a book. You see that in verse 2. Write this down in a book. Jeremiah is getting into the self-publishing industry here. He's going to be a self-published author. And why? Well, because these words are going to last a long time. They're going to outlive him. They're going to sit on the bookshelf there for future generations. And we don't know if this book had any cover art or graphic design or even a title, but people sometimes call it the book of consolation or the book of comfort sometimes people give it a, a title like that and the contents of this book is actually a dream now how do we know that well just have a look at 31 verse 26 and jeremiah says at this i awoke and looked around my sleep had been pleasant to me there we are jeremiah he's had a great night's sleep Isn't that wonderful? A great, nice, kind of like those um, mattress ads where you see people wake up just refreshed and energetic, brimming with energy. Only here for Jeremiah, it's not because of his bedding. It's not because of the open coil spring system or the memory foam pillow. No, it's because of his dream. He dreamt about the Word of God. So let's have a look at this dream, kind of how it works, and then we'll uh, look at what it means. So, how it works. Well, firstly, there's an intro and a conclusion. And both have the phrase, when I bring my people back from captivity. When I bring my people back. That's in 30 verse 3 and 31 23. So, starting to finish. And then there are six songs that begin with the words, this is what the Lord says. Or in the older versions, it says, this it's where it says, thus says the Lord, or thus saith the Lord. So, six songs. And I've got them up on the screen there. And these songs are very poetical. There's lots of imagery, repetition. They really are songs, and that's why your Bible has got them laid out in that format of, of, of lyrics. And each song has a mental picture. Let's have a look. First of all, in the, in the first song, there's an uh, image of warfare is the main image. Then there's healing, city, vineyard, journey, and children. If you've ever played Dixit, it feels like a game of Dixit at this point. All this sort of imagery, and if you glance, it's not on the screen here, but if you glance at that first one, you can see there's fear and trembling and there's a battle kind of imagery. So it's a mental picture. This book is, is not just a lyric sheet or a song sheet, it's a picture book. Jeremiah's written a picture book, and each song has a picture. Each picture within it contains more pictures, and this is all engaging our minds and our hearts with images. And as well as each picture there is also a kind of male and female pattern going on in some of these songs god uses male imagery and addresses his people with the masculine version of the word you so for example in verse 10 he says i will save you jacob masculine there out of a distant place but in other places he uses female imagery and addresses his people with the feminine version of the word you So in 31 verse 4, he says, I will build you up again and you, virgin Israel, feminine, will be rebuilt. So what's happening in this this cycle, this pattern in the songs, we've got God presenting himself as a loving father, reaching out to his wayward son, Uh, that's the masculine imagery, but he's also presenting himself as a loving husband, holding his arms out uh, to a wayward wife or an unfaithful wife. That's the feminine imagery. And both these images, father and husband, Uh, They're building up a picture of of God closing the distance between himself and his people. And both images are supposed to be working in our heart, softening our hearts so that we might return in our hearts to God. Now, more on that later as we look at what it means. But that's kind of how this section works. Now, rather than go through each song, which would be great, but make for a long sermon, uh, we're just going to look at three big ideas that come out from the whole book in chapters 30 to 31. And together these three ideas are going to invite us and call us to kind of uh, reconnect to God, come back to God, close, that, uh, ca- close that, uh, that gap with God. So, the first big point is this. The suffering in these verses is real. The suffering in these verses is real. God's people are genuinely suffering, and in so many ways. They're in exile, so they're in captivity to babylon they're cut off from home they're away we see that in verse 3 and really all the way through they're also wounded and hurt and damaged we'll see in verse 12 i'll have all these on the slide because we're going to go quite quickly but it's on, you'll be able to see them on your bible in your bibles as well they, but god's people are hurt wounded and damaged so in the start of song 2 it says this is what the lord says "'Your wound is incurable, your injury beyond healing. "'There is no one to plead your cause, "'no remedy for your sore, no healing for you.'" So God's people here are, are metaphorically, or perhaps in reality, wounded and hurting. But God's people are also isolated. So in 30 verse 17, it says, "'Because you are called an outcast, Zion, from "'for whom no one cares.'" So they're all alone, they're social outcasts, no one cares for them. Um, they are forgotten people. That's what they're going through. And they're going through shame and humiliation. So, the second half of 31, verse 19, I was ashamed and humiliated because I bore the disgrace of my youth. Shame and humiliation. And they're weary. 31, verse 24, I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. So exile has been hard for these people. They're weary, they're faint, they're tired. But there's more. There's there's grief and loss as well. They're going through loss. In uh, 31 verse 15, song 6, it says, This is what the Lord says, A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now, that needs a bit of explanation. Ramah, that was a place near Jerusalem, uh, possibly where Rachel's grave was. And Rachel was the second wife of Jacob, a long time before this, and she died during childbirth, and I think came to symbolise motherhood in Israel. And so this verse is about mothers in Israel weeping for their children, uh, killed through famine or death or or, or battle, or or sent away as slaves, taken away in chains. This is a time of grief and loss there at Rama. So, you can see in these chapters, all those examples, uh, that the suffering of the people is real. There's many sides to it. Uh, this is real. This is not just having internet problems at home. This is genuine grief, pain and suffering. But more than that, these chapters say that suffering here is all under God's control. It's all under God's control. It's not like God was looking at his phone and got distracted and it's not like he was having trouble multitasking and things got out of hand. No, everything here, he allowed it to happen, he permitted it to happen. In fact, he made sure it did happen. He was in control over the nature and extent of their suffering. Now, how can that be true? What a a thing to say. Well, let's have a look in the passage itself. In verse 11 of chapter 30, God says, I will discipline you but only in due measure. I will not let you go entirely unpunished. Or 30 verse 15, Why do you cry out over your wound, your pain that has no cure? Because of your great guilt and many sins, I have done these things to you. Or in 31 verse 18, Israel says, You, that is God, you disciplined me like an unruly calf, and I have been disciplined. See, God is making it clear that their experience of suffering was actually discipline for sin, all within His sovereign control. That's a big deal to take in. As we think about ourselves for a moment, it's also important that we don't play down our suffering or our sin. Christianity is not about pretending that suffering doesn't exist. It's not about... That everything is fine, Christianity is not superficial. Even now, you might be dealing with the things that have come up in this chapter in 30 and 31 wounds, sickness, isolation, shame, humiliation, weariness. Now, that's not to say there's a direct link between uh, our sin and our suffering, like there was for the Israelites. I mean, there could be connections, that gets kind of complex. But your suffering is real, and somehow it is within God's will and God's control. So if you're looking for someone who actually knows and understands your pain, it is God that you're looking for. You're in the right place here in God's word with God's people. This is where we start. This is the first big idea from this passage. People's suffering is real. The second big idea is that God is compassionate. This book of consolation is massive for showing us the love and compassion of God. I'm going to show this to you in two places. In 31 verse 3, this is song 4, it says, "'The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, "'I have loved you with an everlasting love. "'I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. "'I will build you up again, and you, virgin Israel, will be rebuilt.'" Here we see God, as a husband, addressing his wife. Remember that male-female pattern? And just look at the words he uses here. Love, everlasting love, unfailing kindness. This is the heart of God for his people. Everlasting love. And the second place we see that, God's compassion, is 31 verse 20 in Song 6. And this is God speaking. He says, "'Is not Ephraim my dear son?' the child in whom i delight though i often speak against him i still remember him therefore my heart yearns for him i have great compassion for him here we see god as a father delighting in his son his heart is on view here yearning for him he has his compassion is great Now, here at church, we have a lot of fathers, a lot of flawed fathers, indeed. We'll celebrate them next week for Father's Day. They tell a lot of bad jokes. They leave a lot of jobs undone around the house. And they occasionally get grumpy and lose their temper. But they have a deep yearning for their kids. They really do. They have a deep yearning and love for their children. You see it all the time, whether it's after church, just outside in, in the courtyard, watching them, uh, you see it when they, if they, they stumble and cry, pick them up, give them a hug. In a few uh, weeks' time, the cricket season will begin and you'll see fathers on the side, hearts breaking as their kid gets out for a duck. As a father myself, I, I can say it's a real physical sensation. It just goes so deep. A few months ago my older son Alex got his red peas and he's as he drove, he drove out from the driveway and I was like there on the driveway and it was like okay he's in the car he's driving away I'm on the driveway I don't know what I'm feeling right now but it's really strong <laughs> you know that this that is it goes deep and when we see that depth of feeling in earthly fathers we're just getting a tiny glimpse of God's heart for his people That's how we need to think about God. So we're really engaging with God here. We know that our suffering is is real and somehow it's within God's sovereign control, but God is, is not an oppressive overlord. He's not an overbearing boss. He's not a fussy bureaucrat. He's not a parent that you can never please, who's always looking down on you and disapproving. No, none of these things. God is your loving, heavenly Father, yearning for His children, ready to scoop you up in His arms. This is the picture of God that we're getting here. Now, before we think about how we respond to such a wonderful God, we've got to look at the third big point from this passage. So we've looked at the suffering is real, God is full of compassion. The third big idea is that God will save His people. God will save his people. This chapter is full of promises of rescue and restoration. It's full of commitments for comfort and healing. And once again, lots of images. This is a picture book, remember. It's important that we hear God's promises. So let's look at three of them as God promises rescue and restoration. Firstly, uh, there is the promise of return the promise of return. It's in every section, really, but particularly in Song 5, in 31, verse 8, God says, "'See, I will bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them will be the blind and the lame, expectant mothers and women in labour. A great throng will return. They will come with weeping and they will pray as I bring them back. I will lead them beside streams of water on a level path where they will not stumble.'" Can you see what's happening here? God God is bringing people out of Babylon, gathering them to himself and leading them home. And notice it's even the weak and the vulnerable who are there, the blind, the lame, the pregnant women, women in labor, all the weak they come under God's care as he brings them back to his land. So that's one promise, return. There's also the promise of a restored community. Uh, That community had been shattered in the exile, everything gone to pieces. But there's a promise of restored community. There's urban life in chapter 30 in song 3, cities and population and so on. There's rural life in chapter 31. There's family life in both. The community is restored. And this is a time for joy and music and singing. I'll just read from song 5 again in 31 verse 12. They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord. The grain, the new wine, and the oil of oil, the young of the flocks and herds, they will be like a well-watered garden, and they will sorrow no more. Then young women will dance and be glad, young men and old as well. I will to- turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. Can you see the restored community life here? There is joy in singing. If you know Revelation 21, it will bring you that kind of vibe there. There is joy, great joy of this restored community. And then the third big thing here, the third uh, promise God's make is the, is the promise of godly leadership. We see that in Song 1, verse 8. In that day declares the Lord Almighty, I will break the yoke off their necks and I will tear off their bonds. No longer will foreigners enslave them. Instead, they will serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Here we have these verses are talking about a new king from the line of David who will rule over them. This leadership is also in Song 3, 30 verse 21, where we see the king drawing near to God, almost like a priest. Verse 21, their leader will be one of their own, their ruler will arise from among them, I will bring him near and he will come close to me. This is so good to hear, there will be godly leadership in the line of David. Finally. This people will have someone in charge of them who is just and kind and organized and safe. This is great news for a suffering people. So there we are, we've got three promises, return, community life and godly leadership. And what great news that is for a suffering people, right? great news for people dealing with distance. Imagine that getting that news during COVID, breaking news, press release, everyone gets to come home Everyone gets to hang out with their family and community and throw big parties, and we're going to have a leader who makes no mistakes ever. (laughs) That would be great news, isn't it? That's what these chapters are all about. So we've got to ask, when exactly do these promises come true? When do they come true? Well, in some sense, they uh, were fulfilled. These promises were fulfilled when the Jews returned to Jerusalem after their 70-year exile was over. But really, the blessings there were, were limited. They built a temple, but it was small, and they had leadership, but it was a kind of governor, not a king. Um, it was limited. Even those Jews looked forward to something better. But the, so, these promises really are fulfilled when Jesus came to His people and established His kingdom. We get a hint in the book of Matthew, after Herod tries to kill Jesus and instead kills other children, Matthew actually quotes Jeremiah 31 verse 15, that's that's the verse about Rachel weeping for her children. Mothers in Israel wept for their children, but that moment was also marking a time of fulfillment. Jesus survived that threat from Herod and he established his kingdom and he was the son of David. He was declared God's king. He brought blessing to God's people, he healed them from their sicknesses, he had great compassion on people, he provided wine and bread that never ran out, he called the weary to come and find their rest in him, he fulfilled all these things. But more than all that, Jesus rescued his people from sin and punishment. He rescued them by his death on the cross. At the cross, when He died for us, He was rescuing His people. Galatians 1 says that Jesus gave Himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father. His whole life was a rescue mission. And after His death, God raised Him up from the dead, just as it said in Jeremiah 30, verse 9, when God spoke about David their king, whom I will raise up them God the Father raised up Jesus his son from the dead to be his eternal king in the line of David so God has fulfilled his promises not so much with the return of the Israelites but with the saving mission of Jesus so we are now living in the time of fulfillment in the age of restoration even as we look forward to the final completion of all these promises in the new heavens and earth. So, in view of the three big ideas from this passage, suffering is real, God is compassionate, God will rescue His people, what are we to do? And how can this passage help us, particularly if we're feeling distant from God? Well, I think for those of us who are Christians, this really is being reminded, being reminded of the character of God and the rescue of God, especially through Jesus. This is not so much about us doing stuff and more about us responding in the same way as the community here in Jeremiah. This is about thanksgiving, joy, praise and singing. Why do we sing when we come to church? Well, it's for passages like this in Jeremiah. We need these opportunities to sing and to praise God. If we have wandered from God as a Christian, He really is longing to have us come back. For He is a compassionate God who has rescued us and blessed us. We can come back to Him. We can find rest and refreshment in Him. We can give thanks to Him and praise Him. So, are the worries of this world taking up space in your head and your heart? Well, give them over to God in prayer. Fix your hope on what He is promising. Is suffering wearing you down? Well, think about God as healer and go to Him for comfort. Put your hope in our heavenly home when there will be no more suffering, sorrow, and tears. Has sin captured your heart and become the focus of your life? Well, you need to repent, confess your sin, and come back to God before he disciplines you further. Come back to him for forgiveness and renewal. Whatever it is, don't let God be distant anymore. Come back to him. if you're not yet a Christian, and if you're still learning about what this is all about, well, this passage really is the voice of God calling you to come to Him. Just look at 31 verse 21 here. Set up road signs, put up guideposts, take note of the highway, the road that you take, return, virgin Israel, return to to your towns. How long will you wander, unfaithful daughter Israel? Friend, you've been lost and apart from God for too long. God is calling you to him. He's saying, how long will you wander? You need to answer his call. You need to say to him, yes, God, I'm coming home. I'm coming home to you. You will be my God. I will be your child. I will place yourself... I will place myself in your care. I will let you heal my wounds. I will receive your forgiveness for my sin because of Jesus. Will you do that? Will you return to your compassionate God? Please pray with me now in your heart. Let's talk to God, our Father. Let's respond to him in prayer. Giving thanks to what he's done and committing ourselves to returning to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a compassionate God full of everlasting love. We confess that we have sinned and wandered from you. You have disciplined us gently according to your wisdom. Please forgive us our sin, because Jesus gave himself for our sin to rescue us. We come to you for hope. We come to you for healing. We come to you for joy and blessing. Please keep us and guard us in the safety of your love. In Jesus' name, amen.